0: Well, I sailed, Bean. What are we to make of this situation?
1: Well, my dear Gay, I have to tell you it may seem crazy, but once you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, no matter how improbable, must be. FUN FICTION! Welcome to Fun Fiction. I'm your
0: host, Scotty. Don't call me Scotland Yard. More. I'm Megan, and I was solving a mystery well, instead of thinking of a nickname. I'm Mysterious Megan. I'm Megan of the Mysteries. I'm going to edit something out of this. Don't worry <laughs> about it.
1: <laughs> You're turning into an emo kid from like the early 2000s. I'm XX Mysterious Megan
0: XX. <laughs> Shit, my immortal was the last one. It's Damn it.
1: you. No, what are, we, what are we talking about this time, Megan?
0: This time, we are talking about Sherlock Holmes.
1: And you specified the books, not the film or the TV series, meaning we can stretch three more episodes out of this fucking guy.
0: Hell yeah, because cause you gotta specify, because there's, there's a lot of Sherlock Holmes... In the world, yeah, and yes, because that means we can get the most the most homes for our buck.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. In
0: this economy,
1: so wh- okay, tell me about Sherlock because, like, I'm I'm aware of him. I watched the shows. I watched the first Robert Downey Jr. film. I've not read any of the books, but I almost feel like, do you remember when you had to learn about Hamlet in grade school? And as you read through it, you're like, "Oh, this is just fucking Lion King. I'm good." That's kind of the false. That's the false <laughs> confidence I have right now because looking up stuff about Sherlock, I just went, "Oh, it's fucking Batman. Okay, we're good. It's just Batman."
0: Um, uh, kind. Of, okay, so if Batman didn't have like the trauma. Yeah, If he absolutely still uh, had like his theater kid (laughs) instincts and was just as unnecessarily overly dramatic, but he was like way more open about how much Superman was just absolutely his best bro in the world that he would do like anything for and they live together.
1: Oh, so that's who you're assuming uh Watson to be in this situation is uh is Superman.
0: Well, because like Robin doesn't really make sense because like they're the same age and Watson is Sherlock Holmes's sidekick, and like no, he doesn't really have any superpowers, I guess, but
1: <laughs> until today on
0: fun. Until Fish. until today, yeah. But like he isn't he is an adult man and
1: He's a fucking doctor, like.
0: Yes, he is. He is a doctor, and like he's not considered like an inferior. They're 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 on the the same level. Okay. As, as adults, you know, I get very upset at adaptations that treat Watson as like a character who's just sort of being led around on like a child leash, <laughs> who's just sort of there to just sort of be like, blimey, Holmes good crikey mate i can't believe this but yeah as i was reading
1: through you've got adler who's cat waldman you've got moriarty who's the
0: she 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 shows up in one that's the thing that's that's what i read about she shows up in one story (laughs) she shows up in one story moriarty shows up you're you're gonna hear me bitch about moriarty too okay he shows up in one story he's not important Wait, so
1: like all of the characters that the shows and movies have led me to believe are like the very important figures, were like in one story?
0: Yes. Moriarty is the least important. Irene Adler, at least, uh, when Holmes talks about her, he calls her the woman. She was the woman. Yeah. Because Holmes doesn't really have women. In fact, Holmes is, uh, there's a lot of scholarship that's gone into whether or not he can be claimed, like, for the asexuals. Because he's never really shown any sort of sexual or physical interest in anyone. Yeah,
1: he's an ace hero. Yes.
0: He's shown a lot of what you could definitely claim is homo romantic interest in Watson.
1: Well, yeah, of course. And I, of course, made sure to keep that in my fan fiction that I wrote.
0: Oh, same. Big same.
1: I'd love it if every time he had to introduce Watson, instead of, like, listing his professional bona fides, <laughs> he's just like, this is my live-in twink boyfriend, Watson. Nice to meet
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. And this is, this is Watson, my beautiful live-in pool boy. He is also... He he is a medical doctor, but that's, like, way down. No, that that so. doesn't
1: matter. <laughs> Don't worry about that. He has an ass that will not quit, though. I will let you know that.
0: <laughs> the The thing is, like, depending on what story you're reading, like, their relationship veers from, like incredibly domestic and earnest and like Holmes being like Watson you are my most trusted companion and dearest friend and I would murder anyone who would lay a finger on you too you are a convenient warm body to have around as an audience to see how smart I am yeah so it's like it's kind of inconsistent and that's why Holmes gets characterized as like a pain in the ass but also I get equally angry about adaptations that just like paint Holmes as a, a massive dickhead because those are also incorrect.
1: So wait, of all adaptations, which one is your favorite of them? Or like, I'd say most accurate, maybe, I guess? Mmm, that's hard. Because like, here's the thing. I love Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock, but also I know that's not fucking Sherlock Holmes. That's just Robert Downey Jr. playing.
0: Yeah, because that's yes, that's the problem. I really like those two yeah. and I know I know they're super wrong but I like him a lot, too, and I I like him because of the relationship between Holmes and Watson. Because it's really good, because it shows that Holmes is kind of a pain in the ass. But that the two of them, like, really do care about each other. And they have, like, this really tight relationship. And also that Watson is a grown man who can take care of business. Yeah. And, and is not, like, a, a dumb baby. <laughs> he's not
1: Martin Freeman.
0: Yeah, he's not fucking Martin Freeman. But also that Holmes is, like... Not a raging dickhead. Like he's
1: egotistical, but not like a full on ass. Like one of my favorite quotes from it is still the, uh, like I think it's from the end of the first movie. And this is the last we could say about the movies because we've got a whole nother episode on that in the future. I know, I know, uh, we can't. But it's the very end when they walk in and Holmes has hung himself. And Watson's just like, fuck, man. And everyone's like, is he okay? He loves himself far too much to kill himself as he just helps, helps Holmes down. I was like, I can get behind this guy. It's dude rules.
0: Yeah, it's it's like, yeah, they just have this relationship where he's like, just, just, no, just get down. Yeah, no. They're just so married. They're yeah. just so married. We're like, even when Watson gets married, his wife is there just like, God, they're just so married. Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's how my (laughs) wife is with me and my best friend, too. (laughs) She's just like, okay. (laughs) All
0: right. (laughs) For all that those movies are, they're just so inaccurate. That's one thing I feel like they get really right. And as a good segue away from the movies to the books, the fun thing about all Sherlock Holmes adaptations is that they're fan fiction, technically.
1: Yeah, because, like, what? When did Conan Doyle publish the first ones? It was, like, easily back in the...
0: In the 1880s-ish. Yeah, 18, so it's, yeah, like, yeah, all
1: public publicdom. We could publish a Sherlock story at the end of this podcast.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Neil Neil Gaiman won like a fucking award for publishing Sherlock Holmes things, and like there was this whole Twitter thing where like someone was like deriding fan fiction, and Neil Gaiman was saying something, and they're like, "Well, you're like a real author, like why are you like standing it up for this?" And he was like, "Yo, I literally won an award for fan fiction mm-hmm. for the, the thing that I wrote was fan fiction." Shut up. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Like that's my thing. Like I remember watching a video, and they're like ten public domain characters that you can use in your stories right now, and it was like fucking Dracula, Sherlock Holmes, Cthulhu, do whatever the fuck you want with them, it doesn't matter.
0: And then specifically, Sherlock Holmes um, had what is, uh, I believe... The first recorded instances of fan fiction, because Victorians were fanficking as it was happening, which I'm going to get into a bit more for context as I go into my specific fan fiction.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I was reading. Apparently, there is a fancier term for fan fiction, and it's called pastiche writing. Because I'm on the uh, <laughs> Wikipedia page for Sherlock, and they go Irene, and I'm in the Irene section. She's a ad- retired American opera singer, an actor, an Actress who appears in this one fucking book. Anyways, although this is her only appearance, she is one of only a handful of people who best homes in a battle of wits and the only woman. For this reason, she is the frequent subject of pastiche writing. Just say <laughs> fan fiction, Wikipedia, we know. You cowards. Yeah.
0: Pastiche.
1: We're now uh, welcome to fi- the fun pastiche fiction, the new show.
0: <laughs>
1: it's popstiche here on the BS Network. Also, on the Wikipedia page is the part that I'm very intrigued in: drug use.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, boy gets it. He goes. <laughs> yeah. What What did I have here written down? That he was the he was the Victorian violin playing coke fiend, deducing the cause of crimes and solving the mysteries. That's what you did back then. You you did a bunch of coke and you solved crimes.
1: It works for Harley Quinn and Birds of Prey. So you know what? Whatever. What's bad is on the day I'm attempting to quit vaping, reading that Sherlock Holmes used tobacco and nicotine products to assist him in solving literal crimes is not helping me. I'm just like, I'm a superhero. I
0: need it. No, they did everything back then to solve the crime, Scotty. I'm like Popeye and it's my spinach. (laughs) That was back in like the times where you would go to the doctor and you'd be like, I got a headache. And the doctor would be like, cool, take 12 opium and call me in the morning.
1: John, bring me my investigation ham. I must have it before (laughs) every investigation. Okay, what intelligent things do you have? Because I don't.
0: <laughs> that's, uh... That's generous. Um, <laughs> Blah, 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 asexual, blah, blah, blah. Okay. <laughs> Please leave that in. To that
1: one bit of going through the notes, blah, 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 he's asexual as fuck, blah, blah, blah. <laughs>
0: Okay, so my fanfic, I guess I will go first with mine. It requires some context, and by context, I mean just a small history slash literature lesson. Okay. For which I'm sorry, but also I'm kind of not. This is what you get for choosing someone who hosts a classic literature podcast to be your co-host. Yeah, yeah. You did this to yourself. So, as with most creators who get stuck doing one thing, Conan Doyle was fucking sick of writing Sherlock Holmes. You know, he wanted to do more serious stuff. He was a doctor. God damn it. But no one wanted to buy that stuff. They were like, you know, hey, you got, you got any more of that Holmes? I got the Holmes itch. <laughs> and so he was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna kill him. Fuck. <laughs> like, he, he literally wrote his mom. He's like, dear mom. I'ma fucking kill Holmes. And his mom was like, no! And he was like, too late. So he wrote The Final Problem, which is a story where Holmes goes hurling over the Reichenbach Falls while grappling with his nemesis, the evil Professor Moriarty, who had never appeared before then. (laughs) Fuck. Damn, son. But was totally his nemesis. And always had been. You just never saw him. Because he's so good at being evil. (laughs) He was hidden away forever. I'm essentially paraphrasing. Yeah. Honestly.
1: Also, quick, just because you know, you might know, is it true that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle legitimately developed, like, pseudo-Sherlock powers? Like, he also would be able to look at someone and kind of read them, read them for filth, as it were? <laughs>
0: um, I mean, he did uh, do a lot of work uh, to, on, like, kind of developing forensic shit, yeah.
1: Okay, okay, so, okay. Cause he is, so he is dope as fuck. Awesome.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, he was pretty cool. Actually, although, this is off-topic, but it's just really fucking funny. He was a super gullible motherfucker. <laughs> what? There's this... Story, they made a movie out of it. It's called Fairies. There is a story about these girls where they made these like fake cardboard looking fairies and they took these pictures with them and they did this hoax where it was like, oh, we found some fairies in the woods. And they fooled a ton of people. Again, this was in like the 1890s. And one of the people that they fooled was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, <gasps> who super believed in magic, who super believed in ghosts, who super believed in like seances in the afterlife, who saw the pictures and was like oh shit fairies are real the man who invented sherlock holmes was like the most gullible motherfucker on the planet plus he was best friends with harry houdini who didn't believe in any of these things and who was famous for like busting seances and being like this is bullshit and would be like dragged to these seances by his pal sir arthur conan doyle to be like harry harry look ghosts and be like he would be like arthur why yeah no this is fake why I want, like, cause
1: back then there's so many weird random people who hung out like Gandhi and Hitler and I'm like, I want to make like my own collection of people nowadays so that in the
0: future they're like, (laughs) why did they hang out? So that's just a fun aside. So like, yes, deduction, also fairies, (laughs) kind of a gullible idiot whose buddy Harry Houdini would always be like, no stupid why <laughs>
1: you dipshit I'm gonna go fucking die getting punched in the stomach
0: and, and and they would have literal conversations where Conan Doyle would be like Harry why didn't you tell me you were magic and he would be like cause I'm not you fucking
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is the sitcom America deserves right now <laughs> it is oh god Harry and Artie coming soon to Adult Swim it's so good
0: Oh, God, I've gotten so off track. Harry, I didn't know how you bust out of that straight
1: jacket so easily. How the fuck you do that?
0: I had a key the whole time, you shit. How the fuck do you write your mysteries? How you, how
1: you escape out of that fucking tank of water so easily? I had a breathing tube. Jesus Christ, why am I here with you?
0: How the fuck did you write a study in Scarlet? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the final problem. Uh, the whole thing, the re- the reason that I really hate the final problem is all of it happens off screen. Watson reads it in a note that Moriarty is nice enough to let Holmes write before they murder-suicide each other off a goddamn waterfall.
1: Okay.
0: So y- you don't, I mean... Obviously, Watson, you know, narrates, like, all the stories, but... So, when you read the story, you're reading Watson reading a note from Sherlock being like, Hey, I fooled you into going over to this hotel so, like, you wouldn't be here for this fight and Moriarty wouldn't kill you. He's letting me write you this before I'm- we, like, <laughs> do this big fight. Fucking real cool guy. He's real chill about it. Yeah. It was real swell of, him, of this evil... Machiavellian professor man, but I'm I'm gonna go probably die now. Bye. And then Conan Doyle's like, all right, Holmes is dead now. This <laughs>
1: sounds like he's not dead. Like, and I know I'm coming from the jaded 2021st century perspective of like, oh, Spider Man died. Well, he'll be back in a couple of issues. Shit like that. That's how I am right now. Is I'm like, he's coming back. <laughs> he's he definitely didn't die. <laughs> you didn't show me a body. You coward.
0: But nah, he intended it to be for real because he was—he was just sick of it. He he hated it so much, and so that that was supposed to be dead for realsies. And people were pissed, and like, led legends say that people mourned him in the streets, like he was a real actual person. Uh, there there's an apocryphal account that I can't really find proof for, but I I hope. In my heart is true of a woman attacking Conan Doyle on the street with an umbrella, yelling "How dare you!" <laughs> which is which is amazing. Uh, people did write him very nasty letters saying like "You brute." The The Strand, the magazine that the Holmes serials were published in, they lost like twenty thousand subscriptions. They they called the death of Sherlock Holmes quote the dreadful event.
1: This is like when fucking Superman died in the 90s. Like, this is full-on big.
0: Yeah. So eventually they 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 came to him, the editors, and they were just like, hey, buddy. So, like, you know, no pressure, but uh, we're about to go under, so it'd be real neat if you could, you know, write another Holmes story. Okay, but he's gonna be a fucking fairy now, baby. I'm bringing him back to life. He lives with the angels now. <laughs> So so people still had, like, zero interest in whatever else Conan Doyle was writing, so he realized, you know, hmm, I, I, I done killed my cash cow. So he reluctantly resurrected said cow, and he, t- this is like ten years he kept this motherfucker dead. He wrote the novel The Hound of the Baskervilles, being like, you know, hey, this takes place before Holmes died. Don't you get any fucking ideas? <laughs> He's still dead, <sighs> motherfucker. Except he gave in. Anyway, two years later, when he wrote The Adventure of the Empty House, where Holmes shows up back in Watson's life, magically alive again, like, hey, guess what? (laughs) And um, Conan Doyle wrote 13 more Holmes stories until finally having the man retire to go keep bees all alone in the country somewhere, which I thought at 15 was sort of profoundly sad.
1: (laughs) That's a real, like... I've heard that ending fifty different times. I mean, he did it first, but I'm just like, fucking Bruce Wayne did it. Dexter did it. <laughs> they all just go off into the woods to live with their bees at the end of these adventures.
0: Because yeah, I was 15 when I bought the uh, I bought like the fancy Barnes and Noble uh, set because I was a sad, lonely nerd child. And yeah, I was like, he's he's going off alone
1: with his with his bees
0: with his bees. Is there is there a reason for the bees? <laughs> I, it, no. I don't. He's into bees. I don't know. He fucking loves bees. <laughs> he just is, he's into bees now. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. the The point though is, uh, those those stories, those those post, uh, Reich and Bach stories are not good because obviously the 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 man's heart's not in it anymore. Yeah. He didn't want to fucking be doing this. And so, like some people say stuff you know, like oh, Holmes, Holmes was never the same after he he fought Moriarty, and they started writing fan fiction. <laughs> he was never it. the
1: same after he died.
0: <laughs> <laughs> after he came back, you know, people were kind of trying to be like, let's let's do a better job after this. <laughs> we can, we can do it better. So I I was like, you know what, I'm I'm gonna give that a go.
1: Oh, continuing the tradition.
0: <laughs> yes. And so I originally wanted to make something kind of spooky about maybe why why Holmes comes back wrong.
1: Oh my God. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. But then I was possessed by 15 year old Megan and I just made something kind of sad instead with absolutely zero mystery or crime solving elements. And I, I want to, I went I went too hard. Okay. <laughs> I apologize preemptively. <laughs>
1: okay. Let's, let's go. I'm down. <laughs>
0: I'm. I'm going to warn you. I may not have done a fun fiction. I may have done a frown fiction. No,
1: it's okay. Mine's a frown fiction too. <laughs>
0: oh no! <laughs> Episode two, right out the gate. This this show is now frown. I
1: think fiction. we broke season one's record with
0: that. I think we broke that. Record. I
1: think it was four episodes until we killed off Goofy. <laughs> so I think we're good.
0: Damn! I wish I thought of that. Okay. Goofy
1: shows up in Sherlock Holmes! <laughs> Gosh, Mr. Holmes, they they took my Maxie. I need you to find him.
0: Oh, no, I can't do a Goofy voice. No, so... <laughs>
1: Mickey Moriarty kidnapped
0: Max. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna eat the heart out of you! <laughs> I'm sorry, he had to go, he knew too much. <laughs> and now it's time I'll give you the chance to write one last letter, and then it's time to take you over the falls.
1: <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Alright, I'm gonna write a letter to Donald. <laughs> Let's sit down. Oh We're made I kinda uh, wanna do that. Now instead. we've that's the fun fiction. <laughs> we made the fun fiction. Now we gotta get into the frown fiction.
0: So in the, the Adventure of the Empty House, uh, the original one, which takes place three years after Holmes is presumed to have died, Watson, who is now a widower, by the way, which I forgot was a thing, and and makes the fact that they don't retire together even sadder. Mm-hmm. Um, he has nothing better to do, I guess, than, than keep hanging around crime scenes and seeing if he can help solve them. And uh, he's doing just that when, in the story, he literally runs into an elderly book collector who acts all suspicious and follows him home and eventually turns out to be Holmes in disguise and then he has to explain uh, how the hell he survived and where the hell he's been and it's garbage. So, in my version, uh, Watson wouldn't see any old man at the crime scene. He would just have the uncomfortable, unshakable feeling of being watched. And all the way home, he would keep one hand on his pistol as he constantly looked over his shoulder for someone that wasn't there. But when he gets back home, even though the door is still locked, somehow Sherlock Holmes is already there waiting for him. And Watson can't believe it, and at first he doesn't even notice the way the other man looks wrong, off maybe being the better word. After all, it's been three years. Instead, he drops everything and races to hug him and he's yelling, how and where have you been? But Holmes throws out a hand and stops Watson before he can get close enough. And then... For something less than a moment, Holmes flickers. Holmes, Watson whispers, What happened? And he admits he doesn't know how he got out from under the falls, or back to Baker Street, or even how long he's been gone, and when Watson says three years, he looks sick. He just says he knows he missed Watson dearly. And this time, before he's able to stop him, Watson grabs Holmes and pulls the man into a tight embrace, three years spent thinking his best friend was dead without him there to do anything about it. Whatever's happening now, at least he's here. At least Watson can help in some way. Maybe. Because even as Holmes returns the hug, Watson can immediately feel the wrongness. Holmes has always had an ethereal quality to him, always had at least one foot off in another world, but now it feels like he's actually disappearing, like he's less. They pull apart, and while Holmes is freely admitted to being afraid before, this is the first time Watson's seen it in his eyes. But he tells Holmes firmly that losing him once was quite enough, thank you very much. They'll get through this together. And something amazing happens. Holmes becomes more solid, less hazy, less like something that's struggling to be there. But it doesn't last. They try to carry on as normal, per the suggestion of Sherlock Holmes, because he always knows what's best, right? He keeps taking cases, but insists only Watson sees the clients in case he starts flickering again. But this is a problem he can't immediately solve, a puzzle that can't be neatly figured, and he quickly grows frustrated and angry. And this just makes things worse. He starts keeping secrets from Watson, like the night he slides straight through the floor of his bedroom to the foyer below. Somehow, some way, they manage to tug along in this manner long enough for them to realize that Watson is growing older, and Holmes is not. Watson is still stubbornly determined to figure out a way to fix it, to not lose his friend a second time, but he doesn't see that Holmes is losing his friend right before his eyes, watching him drift into old age while Holmes just flickers, stuck in static. It gets worse until Watson can practically read a newspaper through him. Holmes tells Watson he can't do this to either of them anymore. It's become too difficult to hang on in more ways than one. Watson, growing old and gray, stares at his best friend who now resembles a decaying photograph. Even if he hasn't been seen in years, even if the rumors fly around London wild and thick, he still has been taking cases. He will still be fucking cat. He still will be fucking cats. He still will be fucking cats. (laughs) He still will be missed. Watson asks what he should tell people. Sherlock Holmes smiles sadly and shrugs, even this small gesture a massive effort. Tell them I've gone off to the country somewhere to become a beekeeper. And one morning, he's just gone and Watson is forced to mourn his friend a second time. Except Sherlock Holmes isn't gone. Not exactly. He's still at 221B Baker Street, but in such a small and insubstantial way that it hardly even matters. If he really forced himself, he could make himself visible. But he didn't want to anymore. He couldn't keep doing it to Watson, to either of them. And so he languishes in the attic of the house, losing track of the years and the decades, letting them float by, He feels himself getting stronger bit by bit as he does, getting more solid, more tangible. And then one day, after a silence that feels like it's gone on forever, he hears the front door to 221B open, and a woman's voice say that it's true that the place is going to need quite a lot of refurbishment, but that the bones were good, and that at the end of the day, you couldn't beat the price. Sherlock Holmes allows himself to float down a level as the woman's voice continues saying, Now, I don't want to be nosy, Dr. Watson, but what made you want to open a practice here and not in one of the new office high-rises downtown? And Holmes drops down further to the stairs, where he sees a man in impossibly unfamiliar clothes, with an impossibly familiar face, say with an impossibly familiar voice. I don't know. The location's not bad, and like you said, you can't beat the price. But when I saw the listing, there was something about it that I just felt drawn to. And when the young Dr. Watson sees the flickering image of a man on the stairs... It's not the event itself that frightens him. It's that he knows, somehow, deep down, that they've met before. Oh,
1: that was so fucking sad. (laughs) I'm so fucking bummed now. At first I was like, is Sherlock a tulpa? (laughs) Is he just like (laughs) fucking a manifestation
0: of Watson's madness? No, I wouldn't go that hard, Jesus. Oh,
1: man, it was, it was like, it was really sad and also did have that 15-year-old Megan touch to it. I was like, yep, that's it.
0: I was, yeah, no, I was absolutely possessed yeah. by by a 15-year-old in the night. Okay, <laughs>
1: um, well, mine, I'm happy isn't that fucking bleak, <laughs> um. But I was very inspired by, of all films, Bill and Ted uh, Face the Music that I saw this weekend, and it made me cry a lot. And I've realized, like, the genre of film and storytelling I'm really into right now is old problematic character has a daughter, and that makes everything okay. It ha- <laughs> it worked with Bill and Ted. It worked with uh, fucking si- Jay and Silent Bob. It just works with all of them. So I'm like, okay. So I really wanted to do a daddy-daughter story for this. Um, And, uh, yeah, whereas yours, Sherlock dies, mine someone else dies. (laughs) (laughs) And and I hate the fact that I didn't write out, like, full bits. Because, honestly, I I read this as, like, a three-episode Sherlock, like, series. Like, this could be a series of Sherlock. Uh,
0: Well, we to be fair, we said we weren't writing out full bits that that mine just kind of happened. It just happened Oh, no, no, no.
1: same happened to me. I just sat down (laughs) like oh, okay. This is like a small part I don't need to write that much and then it filled a page and I said I'm fucked. Okay (laughs) (laughs) Okay Um, Let me see what details we need so basically this is like old man Logan. This is like old Batman this is old-ass Sherlock, and everyone's dead. Moriarty's been dead for ten years. Irene Adler's been- uh, just disappeared. And we zoom in on the, uh, the hospital room of Dr. Watson. <laughs> Oopsie-poopsies, I started off with a character dying. So he he's, uh, he's up in his deathbed. He is minutes away from breathing his last breath, and Sherlock bursts through the door. And Watson looks up at him, but it's not a smile. He's just, like, got that patented Watson, almost, like, old marriage upset frustration on his face. And where exactly have you been? Watson says, and then just tears into that motherfucker, explaining that he had been in the hospital for months, and not once had Watson ever heard from Sherlock. Goes through, like, this whole tirade, and then it cuts back to Sherlock, and he goes, Are you done? And he explains... That for the past months, ever since that he knew Watson was sick, he had been journeying the world to find a cure for his ailment. He literally, like with that Sherlock grandioseness, talks about fighting off tigers in India, riding elephants in South Africa, speaking with numerous Native American tribes, all trying to save Watson. And Watson just looks at him and says, Am I supposed to be impressed? And then uh, Sherlock then pulls out a cure and he goes, I don't want a cure. I wanted you here with me. I wanted you to show some semblance of concern about my well-being. At which point Sherlock's confused because he's like, Wait, I I traveled the world for you without speaking to me once. You didn't do that for me. You did that because I became another mystery to solve for the great Sherlock Holmes. What, What exactly does your mystery cure do? And then Sherlock explains that this drug... It does a lot like it it aids in coughing, increases respiratory health, reduces inflammation in the lungs, aids in blood flow. And the whole time, Watson's just getting this big shit eating grin. And he goes, what about dying? Does it do anything for that? And the thing is, in the months that Sherlock had been gone, Watson's disease had gone far beyond that of this mystery cure. Sherlock, you spent months focusing on each individual little detail of my disease when you never saw the big picture. I was dying. Your best friend was dying and I am going to be gone soon. And instead of seeing that and facing the truth, you stayed focused in on those details and you left me alone. And then we get the generic. I'm sorry, John. It's all right, bro. Just don't get so lost in the details. You forget the big picture. That's kind of the point of this story that John dies. And that's episode. (laughs) That's uh. and then also the end of the episode would be, uh, Like, if this was the show, you'd go into his mind palace, and the moment John dies, you start to see the, like, giant pillars in the mind palace crumble. Just a little bit, not a lot. And the whole time, doctors are rushing in to go after John. they're shoving Sherlock out of the way, and we get cut between that, and then cut of him in the mind palace that is just deteriorating more and more and more and more. So then, cut to the next episode, and... Sherlock is not really Sherlock anymore. He spends a lot of his time doing opium. Uh, he's gotten very—he's gotten a lot worse at solving crimes, penmanship deteriorating. His body is starting to fail him. It's old man Sherlock, like I said. His mind is still there somewhat, but it's really the body. Um, and honestly, I kind of want there to be almost uh, like callback to Sherlock's first cases, and then we go back and forth between that and this. Um, and now, uh, I, I do want to see a scene where, like, do you remember the first episode of Sherlock when he's, like, has the doctor come in, and he looks at him, he's like, you're an alcoholic, the fucking, uh, bottom of your phone is all scratched up because you're a drunk, and, like, go, reads him for filth, I want him to do that, and then just fucking fail the whole time, he's just like, doctor, you're an alcoholic, Why? And then he just explains it all. He's like, no, what the fuck? I just have scratches on my phone.
0: See, I think about that episode every time I miss my (laughs) phone charger in the dark. And it makes me so angry every time. Yeah. Because I think about it and I always think about, like, fuck you, BBC Sherlock. Just mm-hmm. every time I miss my phone charger because it's like, that's why the bottom of my phone is scratched up. And it's like, I don't have a drinking problem, <laughs> BBC Sherlock. I just can't see my fucking phone in the dark.
1: Yeah, but. Uh, so all these seeds come up to play with the exact same idea, which is that Sherlock is reading details still, but he's reading the wrong ones. Because, like, if you read the wrong ones, you're fucked. And. That all changes one day, probably midway through this episode, a knock happens at the door, and a young girl walks in, shoves past Holmes, and just makes herself at home. She's looking around, examining every square inch of the apartment, and then Sherlock just kind of walks in behind her. Like, what the fuck are you doing? And she just tosses a newspaper at him, and she continues just to just go off without speaking, and he looks down at the newspaper, and it says, Moriarty Tomb Vandalized. And he reads into the newspaper, and it shows the tomb, and there are these three large plus signs uh, painted in spray paint, red. And the bottom of it's kind of like trailing down into the dirt. And then Sherlock responds, You understand Mr. Moriarty had far more enemies than me to worry about, correct? Not sure I recognize these markings on the side, though. They're the only point of the building that was vandalized. It, It has to mean something. And then that's the first time the girl, like, stops, and she turns around and goes, Fucking really? Perhaps it's some sort of equation, we have to find the variables to place between the plus signs, or... They're fucking crosses, you idiot! (laughs) And she finally, like, goes back over to him. (laughs) Crosses? Why? It's been ten years since Moriarty supposedly died, Correct. While he was trying to convince the world that he was the new savior of humanity. And that's the story we keep cutting back to is like Moriarty's death. And then it cuts back to old man Sherlock, then back to Moriarty's death. And he's got like this real messiah complex. So he goes, she goes, that's what he was trying to do. What better way to convince them that he's the new savior of humanity than this. Day one, three crosses appear on his tomb. Day two, the... And then an explosion sounds from down the street. The tomb explodes open. And they rush down to the tomb where her thesis is correct. The fucking tomb has been blitzed. And they attempt to hold Sherlock back because he's not been much help lately. Like we've seen how much of a failure he is now that John's gone. But the girl's like, no, fuck it. Shoves past them, rushes towards the tomb. And it is empty. There's no corpse, there's no body, there's nothing, no Moriarty to be found. And just like this this would be the go-to commercial moment. <laughs> he she just goes, <laughs> "He's risen." And then turns back around and rushes Sherlock back to the police and at that point she's now no nonsense. "Moriarty's back. Need to get our best teams figuring out what where he's going to strike first. We got to nip this in the bud before he gets ahead of us." And everyone turns at her and laughs. And she's just fed up with it. She's like, okay, fuck it, fine. Shoves past them, leading Sherlock back to 221 Baker Street, and there he's he's now just an old man who's getting led around, It's like, what the fuck's going on? Who are you? And she looks him in the eyes, and she says, my name is Janine Adler. I'm your daughter. And she's immediately like, motherfucker, no you're not. I mean, you might be Adler's daughter, you look just like her, but you're not my kid. She had more than one suitor. And then he starts to turn around and walk in. And then she looks at him and just reads him for fucking filth. Like worse than he did to that doctor, worse than anything he's ever done. He She even goes so far as saying like his negligence caused Watson to die. She goes hard in the paint. And then at the end of it, she goes, no one would be able to know Sherlock inside and out like this other than his own blood she's being a real sassy bitch and (laughs) that's the end of episode two we're now getting into the season finale and ideally the beginning of it would have like bonding time and shit where they like return to the crypt they get in trouble with the police because they're going into the crypt being labeled criminals because like that has to be a thing like they find his fingerprints somewhere and they're like Oh, he's, he's why, he's obsessed with Moriarty, he's old, he's crazy, and he's off his game, so now he's doing all of this, uh, so basically they're insinuating Sherlock's going crazy, and he's doing all of this to try to make his name something important again. So, that's the opening, and then about halfway through the episode, they go into Baker Street, they go into the apartment, and she just goes, oh fuck, because they turn to the dining room table... And they find the crown fucking jewel sitting there. They rush over, literally carved into the crown itself are the words, He is risen. They look at it and they realize like, okay, these are fakes, that's good, but that must be where he's going next. He's going after the crown jewels. He wants to be the proverbial king of kings. It only makes sense for him to have a crown. Of course, also calling back to the fucking sexy ass moment. <laughs> where was like, you should see me in a crown. <laughs> so they uh, rush towards Tower of London. Janine, at one point, like, Sherlock looks behind him. Janine's got the crown on. He's like, what the fuck? She's like, it's not real. It's fine. So, like, they're kind of having funny moments. Finally, they arrive at the Tower of London. Guards are all around. And since they're enemies of the police force now, they got to find a way to sneak in and project- protect the jewels because they know these guards will not be holding up to Moriarty. So Sherlock eventually finds a way up there, scurries up. I don't know. Fucking, I've been playing Spider-Man a lot. He webs his way up there. And (laughs) they climb in. They're in front of the case with the crown jewels in it and that big fucking... I oh, forgot about the throne. So it's not going to make sense when I describe this case as very tiny. So ignore the throne part. <laughs> it's just a tiny case with the crown jewels in it. And he walks up the, to the,
0: the throne was taken out for cleaning. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> so he walks up and the case has a big heart and it has S and M. So Sherlock and Moriarty it's a real horny moment for me. <laughs> <laughs> and so then uh, at that point, Sherlock just kind of turns around and is surveying, making sure no one's getting past him. Turns back to Janine, and he sees Janine, like, holding her hand out to the glass, holding her hand out to that heart, trying to see what was able to cut through this glass. And he just pulls her the fuck back, like, don't fucking touch the glass. It'll trip off the alarm. It's gonna send every guard up here. We cannot have them thinking you're stealing the jewels. And then she looks at him, and she goes, don't worry. They won't. And that's the moment Sherlock Holmes feels a knife pierce his ribs and then twist and crack them apart. Janine smirks and then is about to reach forward and open the case when she goes, hmm, fingerprints. Grabs Sherlock's hands and uses them to remove the case and send it flying to the ground. Grabs the crown jewels and begins to replace them with the fakes that she brought. And then she smirks, grabbing the crown And her knife. No one saw her come in or out. No one knew where the crown jewels ended up. In fact, the fakes were good enough to trick the guards. And no one knew who Janine Adler actually was. But the one thing the world did see was Sherlock Holmes. In fact, it was the last thing the world ever saw of Sherlock Holmes. And it was his body soaked in blood. A scepter in one hand jewels and the other and a crown on his head which read she is risen boom end of the story motherfucker
0: i killed sherlock and watson you tricked me (laughs) you son of a bitch i thought you were doing logan but what if fun (laughs) (laughs) no motherfucker
1: yeah, and I, I at first I was like, oh, it's definitely Moriarty's kid, and then as I went on, I'm like, you know what? Let's just leave it up to the audience's imagination. Maybe it is Sherlock's kid, but he's got more of that Adler in her.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe she's pissed that
1: her dad sucks. That
0: her yeah, that her dad sucks. And she's just like, fuck it.
1: It's so good. I love it. I part of me does want it to be Sherlock's kid because like. No one could trick Sherlock other than his own flesh and blood. So now it's like, this is our evil Sherlock.
0: Yeah, evil little baby Sherlock child. Yeah,
1: I initially wanted to write, like, a happy ending. And then I got real tired (laughs) and (laughs) said, we're gonna end it right here. (laughs) I was
0: just like, ah, fuck it, let's kill him. (laughs)
1: Fuck it, he's dead now, baby, I don't care.
0: Yeah, there was gonna be more to my because mine initially was going to be more complicated, because I had the thought of, like
1: of Sherlock being a tulpa. Yes, I
0: know. <laughs> well, no, there but it was going to be um Eldr- Eldridge Holmes.
1: Oh shit. <laughs>
0: yeah, and and th- this idea that um through the ages the, the the Watsons, the the Watson line has to like the that has to be the the companions. to to Holmes I
1: actually I love that because and I don't know if this is where you're going I would go that he slowly loses his humanity and turns evil and the Watsons go from the companions to the ones fighting him and it now becomes like (laughs) (laughs) I I hadn't even gone
0: I hadn't even gone that far it was I just had it that that there's there's just a Holmes floating around and and they just kind of yeah keep him keep him tethered and uh he he saw he solves crimes (laughs) see the
1: only thing i didn't get to add into mine because it was way too convoluted to figure out was i wanted where i had that heart that said s and m i wanted to figure out a way to where holmes could look back in after she replaces the crown jewels and the s appears on the crown basically like if you look at it the right way the s comes on it looks like she is risen or she is i think the other alternative was like she is mine And that would have definitely been like, yeah, it's Moriarty's fucking kid. But (laughs) that was the only thing that I didn't get to write in because I was like, it's too confusing. I'm just going to have her carve it in there and pop it on his head.
0: No, that's dope. Yeah, I just like the idea of, like... Yeah, Holmes came back wrong. Holmes came back real fucking wrong. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think both of ours were basically, like... We're bad at writing mysteries, so... You know what? Sherlock's do- bad at mysteries right now.
0: Yeah, the, the closest-, well, he's just not, he's closest... just not gonna do a mystery. Yeah, the
1: closest I got to a mystery was, like... If you are kind of aware of Jesus, we're gonna be
0: good. You've got the mystery solved. My mystery is... The greatest mystery of De- the great Death! Beyond. <laughs> <laughs> Can oh. you tell that neither of us are mystery writers?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I want to write one so bad because I want to be clever, but I can't.
0: Yeah, that is not my forte. <laughs> Alright,
1: well, until next week where we're going to be doing some more fanfiction about some bullshit I don't know yet, because it's my week to pick, and I've got no clue. Where can people find you?
0: (laughs) In the country. With my bees. (laughs) Now i got to make a shirt
1: that says Sherlock's Honeybees.
0: (laughs) But on, on the Internet they can find me doing doing other podcasts like Only oh no Class do, where I talk more about, about books and shit if you like that book talk if you if you were horny for that oh man can you get your fix and more
1: <laughs> i was very grateful to have you as a co-host for that cuz i was like i don't fucking know shit about the sherlock books i'm going to have to leave it all
0: up to them <laughs> Oh, well, that's why I picked this one because I know I know all the shit about this. When we do supernatural, or whatever, I'm just gonna sit here and nod and be like, "Yup." As I just get real horny about Sam
1: and Dean the whole time. You're just like, "Hey, okay, you can do that," but I'm gonna turn off the camera.
0: I'm gonna be like, "Those are those are some boys, all right." But yeah, you you could uh, you can get all of that and more awaits you at onalitclass.com. Uh, or on Twitter at Pod. if if you just want to know more about me, if you're just intrigued by me, oh, <laughs> and my bees, <laughs> and my bees. If you want to get to know more about me and my bees, you can do that by following me on Twitter. At Meg underscore danger.
1: Dun dun dun.
0: And you can find me killing
1: more of your beloved childhood characters on Twitter at Scotty Moe. That's S-E-O-T-T-Y-E-M-O. And you can find all my podcasts at a load of pure BS.com, including this one. And if you're looking for some Sam, or if you're going to look, fuck, if you're looking for some Harry <laughs> Potter fan fiction, but you just want some more oomph to it check out the many adventures of sammy magic i'm rewriting harry potter but a lot better and with less turf bullshit i did somehow incorporate the baseball scene from twilight into an episode because fuck it i
0: guess (laughs) that that's also a, a thing that (laughs) it was missing
1: and of course remember to support us on patreon.com slash a load of bs you get access to exclusive content and also you'd make us smile and pick up some fun fiction merch at merch.loadofpurebs.com do you want to thank your bro for his good good music
0: I I guess I should I guess he's earned that right thanks Jared (laughs) Thanks, be motherfucker, be you a, did it! That'd be such a dick move. <laughs> Thank you, Best Day, for our theme song. You can check out more music just like it at soundcloud.com slash best hyphen day. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I contemplated making the, end, the new ending of every episode just... <laughs> Thanks. That's <laughs> it. Oh, you know what? ladies and gentlemen we love you madly and we will see you next week after we get done tending to the bees it's
0: time to see you to the bees <laughs> I will see <laughs> the bees